Well, many of you know, I think most of you in here know that I spent 20 years of my life in the Air Force. And one of the things that uh, when you spend any time at all in the military, you start to pick up certain lingo, certain kind of insider language. One of the things that I picked up while we were while I was in the Air Force, is that when things get really tough and when you're really struggling, when you're exhausted and you're, you're just having a hard time moving forward, one of the sayings that we used to tell each other was, drink water, press on. Just a simple statement, right? Now, I think, um, I think with my, my daughter-in-law, the line is more like suck it up, buttercup, but... <laughs> But that was what we used to tell each other when we were struggling, when we were uh, feeling defeated, feeling discouraged, whatever. Drink water, press on. Doesn't do any good to complain. Doesn't do any good to whine. Doesn't do any good to worry or fret. That simple statement tells you to keep your focus. Keep your focus. Keep your nourishment. You know, the drink water part. Keep your nourishment or you're going to die. But in addition to that, just keep your focus. Press on. Keep pressing on. And that's Paul's attitude in our passage this morning. If you've been here with us for a while, you know that we've been walking with the Apostle Paul through what have been called, what we have come to know of as the first and second missionary journeys. We're well along his second missionary journey now, and this morning we'll walk with him into a town called Corinth. Each stop along the way has been very unique, but there were some things that each stop along the way has had in common. Paul always, wherever he went, he always preached the gospel. And everywhere he went, he was surrounded by friends, surrounded by men that he had discipled, that he was bringing along with him, friends like Timothy and Silas and Luke, or even earlier on in the first missionary journey with that man uh, named Barnabas. But he was always surrounding himself with friends, with co-workers in the ministry. And most of the places that he that he stopped at resulted in a brand new church being planted there. So all of those things were, were common in just about every stop that he was, that he stopped at along the way. He was also persecuted at many of them. He was also run out of town along the way. He was also beaten and he was stoned and he was left for dead and all of those kinds of things. But all, none of those things, none of the persecutions or the stonings or being run out of town, none of those things threatened to tear down Paul's ministry. None of those things threatened to make him want to quit. What threatened to bring his ministry down was discouragement. Discouragement's a terrible enemy, isn't it? And I think everybody in here, well, I know everybody in here at one time or another has faced discouragement. Like I said, this morning we're going to walk with Paul into this town called Corinth. When, when you can follow along on your map and you can see where Corinth is and all that. We, uh, we get a color map this morning. That was because I hit the wrong button on the printer. Don't get used to it. (laughs) Or you can keep your color map and enjoy it. But when Paul gets to Corinth, he's not in a good place emotionally. He's, he's down, he's discouraged. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 3, a letter late, that he wrote later back to this church at Corinth, he described what his emotions were like when he got there. And this is what he says. He says that he came to them in weakness 
and in fear and in much trembling. That wasn't because Paul was somehow scared to share the gospel. It wasn't because all of a sudden he got, he, he was shy about what he was doing. It was, wasn't all of a sudden that he forgot how to speak in public. No. He was in weakness and in fear and in much trembling because he was discouraged. I, I think he was discouraged partly because he was disappointed about what had happened in Athens. If you were here last week, you remember what had happened in Athens. In Athens, there were a few people believed, a few people who believed, but there wasn't a church that was planted there. On top of that, while he was in Athens, he was by himself. Silas, Timothy, they were still with the church in Berea. They were still in Macedonia. Luke was still way back pastoring the church in Philippi. So Paul was there in Athens alone. He had a disappointing result of his work there. And on top of that, on top of that, apparently the, the, the ministry funds that had been supplied throughout this whole and supplied his needs throughout this whole missionary journey, apparently those ministry funds had dried up. Because when he first arrived in Corinth, he wasn't able to just devote his whole time and energy in sharing the gospel and planting churches. When he first got into Corinth, he had to do a secular job to, su- to supply his personal financial needs. So here's the background. When Paul arrived in Corinth, he was homeless, he was friendless, and he was broke. And he had just come off of what he could easily perceive as a ministry failure in Athens. That's enough to disappoint you, isn't it? That's enough to bring discouragement to you. Yeah, Paul was down, emotionally down. He was weak and fearful to the point of trembling. Have you ever been disappointed like that? Have you ever been discouraged to the point that you just didn't want to move? Because you were weak. You felt the discouragement weighed on you so much that you just felt weak. You just didn't want to go anymore. Discouragement will absolutely suck the life right out of you, won't it? I can't tell you how much, um, and just thinking about it a couple of times this week, um, almost brought me to tears. I can't tell you how much I appreciated your appreciation last Sunday. I can't tell you how much I appreciated that encouragement that you gave me last Sunday. I appreciated it because I needed it. We all need it, don't we? We all need to be encouraged. We all need that kind of encouragement. We all need to be encouraged in the ministry that each of us is doing or is called to do. See, don't forget that I'm not the only one that's called to ministry here. As fellow believers, as fellow members in this church called Parkview Baptist Church. Each of us is called to ministry. If you were here Thursday, that was what we spent most of the time talking about, was that each of us are called to ministry. And the fact is, we have folks in this church that are doing all kinds of ministry and have been doing all kinds of ministry for a long time. 
kids ministry, youth ministry, music ministry, campus ministry, different kinds of food, benevolence ministries, all kinds of behind the scenes ministries that nobody, that the only time that somebody notices is when something doesn't get done. All kinds of behind the scene ministries, stewardship, budget, facilities, family ministries, ministries to the homebound that nobody ever sees, ministries in the community. Ministries in our schools, ministries in our colleges, one-on-one ministries, ministries to your own kids and your own grandkids. Yeah, there's ministries going on all over the place, aren't there? Most of y'all are faithfully engaged in some kind of ministry. And with each of those ministries that you're involved in, there's a potential for discouragement. People don't see what you do. People don't appreciate what you do. Now, I know that that's not why we... Now, if that's what you're doing it for, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But even though you're not doing it for those reasons, still, sometimes you need a little attaboy, don't you? Or girl, Or a person, I guess, is what we got to say now, huh? <laughs> sometimes you need a little pat on the back. People don't appreciate what you do. Most of the time, people don't even notice what you do can be discouraging when that happens. But you know, even more than that, because I think most of us, like I said, we're not doing it for that. So we can just, we don't, that doesn't feed our discouragement so much. What feeds our discouragement more than anything is when we don't get the results that we're looking for. We don't get the results that we want to see. And that's where Paul was emotionally when he got to Corinth. As I said, he was alone, he was broke, he was discouraged, and he was opposed. We're going to look at each of those here this morning. Paul was feeling alone in his ministry. Are you feeling alone in your ministry? Look at verses 1 and 2 to see what God did to supply Paul in that time of loneliness. Starting in verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He went to see him. You feel alone in your ministry? You feel like you're doing it all by yourself? Well, if that's what you feel like, then don't be discouraged, because God will provide you with all the friends, all the co-laborers that you need to go on mission for him to accomplish the mission that he's given you to do. He'll supply. Do you think it was an accident that when Paul got to Corinth, he started hearing about this couple, Priscilla and Aquila? Do you think it was an accident that, that they came from the same background that Paul did? <laughs> do you think it was an accident that Paul walked into this town, heard about these people who did the same, had the same uh, skills that he did? His heritage and his trade? Of course that wasn't an accident, was it? It wasn't a coincidence. No, God graciously placed them in Paul's path to come alongside him to fill the gap until Timothy and Silas were able to show back up. God supplied that. And then later on, as we go through the passage, we see that God added a couple of other guys named Titius Justus and, and Crispius. Crispus. Crispus. How would you like to have that name? By the way, if you're looking for baby names... Titius and Crispus, just scratch those off the list, would you? (laughs) 
Those are probably not the, probably not the ones to, to add. But God supplied those guys into Paul's loneliness. And later on, we see that the Corinthian church was actually started in Titius Justice's house. So look at what God provided for Paul when he felt alone. He provided him with Aquila and Priscilla as friends. He Later on, when Timothy and Silas actually were able to come in, he brought Timothy and Silas back to him as co-workers, and he supplied Titius Justice and Crispus as a church family around him. God provided friends, co-laborers in the church. In his loneliness, God, Paul pressed on and God provided. Of course, you know, God didn't just drop them out of the sky, did he? Paul had to expend effort in going to reach out to Aquila and Priscilla. Paul had to make the effort to seek out and to disciple Silas and Timothy. And he had to expend the effort to share the gospel with Titius Justice and Crispus. Paul pressed on, kept doing what he was supposed to be doing, and God provided. Paul was alone and God provided. He was also broke. Look at what God did for him in verses 3 through 5. Verses 3 through 5. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath... And tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. You ever feel like you're too broke to do the things that God calls you to do? You ever feel like you're, you know, man, if I had, if I had unlimited resource, boy, I'd do this. If I had unlimited time, I'd do this and this and this for God. But, you know, I'm just too broke or just don't have enough time. Well, if that's the way you feel, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged because God will give you all the resources that you need to be on mission for him. Might not be the way you like it. Might not be your first choice. I doubt very seriously he's going to drop buckets of money and buckets of time out of the sky for you. Might not be your choice, but God will supply. Amen? When Paul got to Corinth, he had to do something that, that he hadn't done in any of the previous cities and towns. You know, a lot is made um, that, that Paul was this, was this tent maker that was always doing bivocational ministry. Well, I've read all the way through Acts, and I don't see it. I see that this was the only time that he was actually engaging in bivocational ministry. This was the only time that I can tell that Paul had to get a job outside of full-time ministry because his ministry needs weren't being supplied by the churches. I get a kick out of people who say that bivocational pastors are part-time. Don't ever say that, okay? I mean, I thank God that that y'all are gracious enough and God provides so that I can focus on prayer and the ministry of the Word. Um but I have many friends who are bivocational pastors. And listen, none of them are part-time. Ministry, whatever the ministry is, whatever vocational ministry it is, is more than full-time. Some are just fully resourced. And at this time, Paul's ministry was still full-time, but his resourcing was coming from making tents, 
Sometimes your ministry resources aren't going to be provided by the church. Whatever your, whatever your ministry call, whatever your ministry focus is, whatever God is leading you toward, sometimes that ministry is not going to be funded by the church. Sometimes it's not going to be funded by the association or the state convention. But if you're on the mission that God has called you to, he will supply the means for it to be funded. Funded financially and funded with time. God supplied the means for Paul's ministry in Corinth. He supplied the means for him there in Corinth by giving him a job. And then when Timothy when Timothy got there from Berea... He brought the cooperative gifts from the churches. We see that in the, in the other writings. He brought the cooperative gifts from the churches in Thessalonica and Berea along with him so that Paul could resume what it says there in verse 5. It says that he was occupied with the word. That means that that was his occupation was with the word. He was able to set aside the tent making and be fully engaged in the ministry. The point is, point in all of that is, God will supply. What God calls us to, God always supplies. He will supply. Not always in the manner that we might be looking for, but He will supply. Paul pressed on, started making tents, and God provided. Paul was alone and God provided. Paul was broke and God provided. He was also discouraged. But look at what God did for him in verses 6 through 11. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. I mean, you can just picture him. He was just, you ever, you ever run off at the mouth when you get frustrated? (laughs) Okay, your pastor's confessing it. I've done that this morning, <laughs> right? And something doesn't go right or something, something, then you just, and that's exactly what Paul was doing here. Stuff wasn't, wasn't happening right. And, and then he just spouted on these guys, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Well, that's true. And everything's true there. But the tone that he was using was a little bit harsher than he usually used. But listen to what else happened. He left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door, next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. I don't know if you highlight in your Bible, but that's a good one to highlight. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. You ever feel like you're not getting anywhere? In your ministry to your kids. You ever feel like they're just not listening to you anymore? In your ministry to your unbelieving spouse, do you feel like you're just never going to get through to them? In your ministry in the church, do you ever feel like you're just pushing a rope uphill? 
You ever feel like no one? You know, we talk in here all the time about sharing the gospel with people and building relationships in order to share the gospel with them. And as you're faithful to do that, do you ever feel like nobody is responding? You ever feel like you're not seeing any fruit? That's how Paul felt. He was so frustrated, like I said, he responded harshly to those folks in verse 6. But God gave him a couple of, I like to call them breadcrumbs. God gave him a couple of breadcrumbs along the way. You know, breadcrumbs along the path, just to remind him, yep, Paul, you're, you're headed in the right direction. You're headed exactly where I want you to go, where I want you to be. Titius Justice was a breadcrumb, and Crispus was a breadcrumb. Along the way, these couple of guys get saved just to show Paul, yep, you're on the right path. Look, we'd, we'd all love for our ministries to be eye-popping and record-setting and headline-grabbing. I'm sure any of us would love to come in here, yeah, I shared the gospel with 17 people this week, and uh, they'll all be coming forward for baptism. I think we'd all love that, wouldn't we? Or, you know what? My prodigal child just got saved. We'd love to hear that, wouldn't we? We'd love, we'd love to see immediate, abundant fruit in our ministries. But most of the time, that isn't going to happen. Most of the time, God will just give you little breadcrumbs, little reminders along the way. You're on the right path. Just keep going. Just press on. But you know those breadcrumbs, those breadcrumbs are wonderful, and, and we long for them and we need them, but those aren't what's really going to pull you through discouragement. Titius Justice and Crispus, that wasn't what pull, pulled Paul out of his discouragement. God's Word is really the only thing that will pull us out of discouragement. You know, Paul didn't have the benefit of having a completed Bible. Matter of fact, God would use Paul to write most of the New Testament, and it hadn't been done yet. So Paul didn't have the benefit of having the complete canon of Scripture before him, the complete, sufficient, inerrant, infallible Word of God that is sufficient for all. He didn't have the benefit of having that, so God spoke to him in a vision. Uh, you know, you might want or you might long for God to speak to you in a dream or something like that. And I'm not saying he can't or he won't. But what I'm saying is the only sufficient, all-sufficient Word of God that we have is here. And it is sufficient to pull us through anything. I lift my eyes up to the hills from where, where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's the 121st Psalm, and I can't tell you how many times I have claimed that. I've, there's some of you, many of you in here, that I've prayed that over your bedside in the hospital or wherever. There are encouraging words all throughout Scripture. We need to pull on those. Would Paul have liked for his ministry in Corinth to really take off like it had in other places? Of course he would have. But regardless, he pressed on and God provided. 
Paul was alone, God provided. Paul was broke, and God provided. He was discouraged, and God provided. And as always, he was opposed. And look at what God did for him in verses 12 through 17. It says, but when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, didn't even have to open his mouth. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. So the Roman guy was like, man, that's your business, y'all's business. Get out of my business. I'm not, I'm not going to fool with y'all about that. Verse 16, and he drove them from the tribunal. And they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, the last ruler of the synagogue had been saved, and they had a new guy, Sosthenes. They all see Sosthenes, say that ten times fast, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio, that's your business. He paid no attention to that. I mean, that's a crazy scene, isn't it? If you just try to picture that like a movie scene in your head, that was a crazy scene that was happening. But it didn't have the outcome that anybody was expecting. I'm sure, you know, Paul was getting ready to open his mouth and getting ready to testify like he'd done so many times. And I'm sure that he was saying, well, here we go again. We're going to get beat up and we're going to get whipped and flogged and thrown in jail again. But he was ready to share the gospel. But God knew he knew at that moment he wasn't emotionally ready to handle that. So God gave him some protection. God provided. Paul needed something to go right for him in Corinth. So God provided. I don't know how you might be opposed in your ministry. Maybe you have an unbelieving spouse that opposes you. Maybe you have a prodigal child that opposes you. Maybe you have a hostile work environment. Maybe you're just opposed by internal stuff, insecurity and fear and doubt. Listen, whatever it is that's opposing you, God will give you all the protection that you need to keep you on the mission that he's called you to do. The ruling for Gallio, from Gallio, that sure didn't turn out very good for Sosthenes, did it? But it did turn out well for Paul. That ruling gave Paul all the protection that he needed to press on with his work in Corinth. And he continued on for an extended period of time, stayed for a year and six months. God provided and Paul pressed on. God provided for Paul in his loneliness. God provided for Paul in his material needs. God provided for Paul in his emotional need. And he provided for him in his protection against opposition. God provided everything that Paul needed to keep him on mission for him. Don't you think he'll do the same thing for you? If God calls you to it, he'll provide a way for you to do it. He'll see you through it. Look, I, I know sermon like this, there's probably floating around in your head the thought that, well, that's a good sermon for the preacher to listen to because it's talking about ministry. Um, 
You might not think what you do, think of what you do as ministry. But like I said, if you were here this Thursday, that's what we talked about is that everybody is called to ministry. Not just the one who sits up here and talks. Every one of you, if Jesus has saved you, he's called you into ministry. And that ministry that he's called you to is not always going to go smoothly. You're not always going to get to see the fruit you like. Sometimes you might feel alone in it. Sometimes you might feel like you don't have the time or the resources that you need. Sometimes you're going to get discouraged. Sometimes you're even going to be opposed. Even though you're going to face all those things at one time or another, you need to remember three things. First, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That was the first thing that Paul, that God told Paul in that vision, wasn't it? He told him, Paul, don't be afraid. You know, it's been said, I've, I've seen this many times, and um, I, I'm, I'm not doubting it, I just can't find it, but it's been said that the Bible says, don't be afraid, different versions of don't be afraid, says it 365 times. Well, that makes for a great devotional. I've only been able to find 120 times, but 120 is a lot. And here's the thing. Even if God told you one time in his word to not be afraid, just press on, isn't that enough? If God is the creator of the universe, is the sustainer of the universe, as the one who saved your soul, if he says, just press on, don't be afraid, isn't that enough? Don't be afraid. If you're doing the work that God has called you to do, he will take care of you. End of story. You don't have anything to be afraid of. So be brave and press on. Don't be afraid. Second, don't be silent. Don't be silent. Way back up in verse 4, right in the middle of Paul's discouragement, what did he do? Right in the middle of his discouragement, he was broken, he was friendless and all of that kind of stuff. But he proclaimed the gospel. Even though I'm sure he was worn out from the rigors of tent making. I mean, that was more than a full-time job. And he was discouraged from the apparent lack of fruit in his ministry. He still sought out opportunities to share the gospel, to proclaim Jesus to people. In other words, even in his discouragement, he still did what he was supposed to do, didn't he? You know, in those times when I'm, when I'm feeling down... And when really you know, something, if any of y'all, I know most of y'all in here are introverts like your pastor. And one of the things as an introvert, when you get down, you typically just want to go off in a corner and like read a book or <laughs> just don't talk to me. But listen, in those times when I'm down and when I don't want to do anything but just be alone, I found that the best thing that I can do to pull myself out of that find somebody to share Jesus with. Even though every fiber of your being is saying, I just don't want to do that right now. Find somebody and share the gospel. As a matter of fact, I can find a direct link between the times that I am down and the times that I haven't been faithful in sharing, personally proclaiming the gospel to people. Don't be silent. Be bold. Press on. Finally, don't give up. Don't give up. 
In Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, Jesus said something that many of us are very familiar with, but we don't often think of. He tells us the words that all of us, each of us, want to hear at the end of our life when we meet him. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Faithful. He doesn't say, well done, good and fruitful servant, does he? He doesn't say, you've been, you've done this and this and this and this and had all this wonderful ministry success. Enter into the joy of your master, does he? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. God honors faithfulness far above fruitfulness. Because after all, who's responsible to bring the fruit? God is. He calls us to be faithful. If Jesus has saved you, He's given you everything you need to be His faithful witness. So don't give up. Be faithful. And press on. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. And don't ever, ever, ever start to sound like Churchill. Ever give up. Don't ever give up. Drink water. Press on. You know, in John chapter 4 very familiar passage to many of us. In John chapter 4, Jesus was in a town called Sychar talking to a woman at a well. She was a Samaritan woman. And that Samaritan woman was down and she was defeated and she was discouraged. But unlike Paul in Corinth, there was really no way out for her out of her discouragement because she didn't know Jesus. She wasn't saved. This This woman, this discouraged, this downtrodden woman had had lots of physical relationships, but she was really alone. She had physical water. I mean, she was right there at the well, but she was still continually thirsty. Her lifestyle choices had left her discouraged and opposed to the point that she couldn't even go to the well at the same time as the other women in town. So she had to go there alone. But Jesus met her there. He met her there just like he's meeting you here this morning. And he told her the same thing he's telling you here this morning. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, Everyone who drinks of this water, and he was referring to him, or he was referring to the well there, he said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, before that woman could press on like Paul, she had to drink water. She had to drink the water of life. So before you can press on, you have to drink the water of life. Have you done that? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Master and Savior? If you haven't, then this morning I'm asking you to stop being afraid. 
Step out in faith and trust Him today. The Bible says that you will be saved. I'm asking you to stop being afraid. I'm also asking you to stop being silent. Profess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. Stop being silent and profess your faith in the waters of baptism. Stop being silent. Finally, I'm asking you to give up. Wait a minute, you just said never, 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 ever give up. If you don't know Jesus yet, I'm asking you to give up. Give yourself, give your heart, give your will, fully surrender to Jesus as Lord of your life. Let God use you for the purpose that He's already created you for. Let Him send you on His mission. Drink water, press on. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we get so easily discouraged. Father, forgive us when we take our eyes off of you and put our eyes on our circumstances, whether our circumstances are financial or our circumstances are our health or our family life or our whatever. Forgive us when we focus so hard on those things that we forget you and we forget the mission that you called us to. Lord, if there's anyone in here this morning who's not trusted Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior, if there's anyone in here who's not partaken of the living water that you offer in Christ, that I'd ask that today would be the day of their salvation that today they would submit their heart and mind and soul and will to you as Master and Lord and King, that today they would turn from their sins and turn to you in faith, believing that Jesus is who he said he is and he did what he said he did. That today would be the day that they would confess Jesus as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, for those of us who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior. Oh, Father, I'd ask that you would lift our eyes to see that you've provided everything that we need to do the work that you've called us to do. There's so many distortions out there that say that you are pouring out material wealth and physical health and all of those kind of things just so that we can live our best life now. But, Father, that is not what your Word says. Your Word says that you richly provide so that we can do the work you called us to do. You overwhelmingly equip us and gift us to do that work. So, Father, for those of us who have trusted Jesus but are not doing the work that you called us to do, Lord, I'd ask that um, that would change today. Father, there's nothing that I can say that can call or draw 
or save. So, Father, we trust this time to you and to the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.